to Michelle will be in here in a little bit, and a lot of you, Howard organized getting uh, cards for them from our class, and uh, Howard will make that presentation to them at the end. Um, I'm going to try and end us maybe five minutes early or so also so that uh, um, I can beat you to my house. Uh, <laughs> please, please come. If, you, if, you're, if you're out there and you're thinking, eh, maybe, maybe not, um, look, come. You can always leave if you hate it after five minutes. Okay? Um, just come, sweat a little bit. All right, sweat a lot. And then, then leave. Um, I want to thank Charles Mickey, uh, even though he's not here, but I've thanked him personally for filling in for me while last week I got to preach up at uh, Jeff Shreve's uh, church at, uh, in Texarkana. And, and I have a ball when I get to go up there and, and preach. They're wonderful people. They're very nice to me. Um, I, I spoke there Sunday morning. Then on Tuesday afternoon, I had to speak to about 1,000 high school kids at Lubbock Christian University in Lubbock, Texas. And speaking to high school kids, for me, is about the functional equivalent of going to the dentist. I love to speak, but I don't like to speak to high school kids because, whoops, I, it's, it's just too hard, okay? You've got to, they don't care. <laughs> okay, they're not going to pay attention. So I figured my only shot is to put some jokes in there. Now, if you're Charles Lowry, that comes real natural. Um, Jeff Shreve has got like an encyclopedia Britannica mind of jokes. So on, on Tuesday morning, I find myself in New York City. I'm headed to the airport to fly to Lubbock to go give this speech. I'm supposed to speak on like real success in life, which like some high school kid gives a rip about. And so, but it's my assigned topic, okay? And so I call Jeff. And I catch him. He's like not at church. He's not at home. I've got him on his cell phone driving down the road. I said, Shreve. He said, hey, Mark, thanks for filling in Sunday. Da, da, da. I said, no, no, we don't have time for that. I have to speak in about three hours, and I need some jokes. And he said, well, what do you need them on? I said, well, I need one on uh, money doesn't bring happiness. And I need one on staying busy doesn't bring happiness. And I need one. And I listed five subjects. He says, okay. Well, on money, and he just rattles five jokes off. Bam, 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 one on each subject. And I'm thinking, like, the guy's got some complex or something that works. I don't understand it. But I have five really good jokes that I've kept in my brain. If you want to come, if y'all were in high school, I'd tell them to keep you captive during this, this is a James lesson. But instead, you've got to come to the picnic. I'll tell you the jokes. Last point on the picnic, and then we'll move on. Um, when you pick berries, I don't know if you're um, uh, an experienced berry picker, but I tell you this so you know. If you were picking bananas or apples, you can pick them, or tomatoes, before they get ripe, and you take them home, and they ripen, correct? Like you go to the grocery store, you don't buy ripe bananas because they'll stink the next day, okay? It's not true with berries. Okay? Once you pick the berry, it never gets any riper, I don't know if riper is the word. More ripe. Okay. So pick the blueberries that are blue. blue. On the nose. Pick the blackberries that are on the nose. And they'll be wonderful. And we have literally 
just more than everybody in here can pick. So we really appreciate you coming and picking. Now, James, Charles covered it. He did the handout and he did the whole book on the handout, so I didn't write anything different. I, we've just got more copies of his handout. If you need them, grab one. Um, um, and uh, if not, get one on the way out. I want to thank him for the handout. And I'm going to go back through James and I'm going to do James my way um, because I know what he did and I think I can add a little different accent to some of the stuff. So bear with me. James, I do think the James that wrote this is the brother of Jesus. And you cannot talk about this today like you could two years ago. Because something significant has happened in the world of archaeology in the last two years that deals with James, the brother of Jesus. Um, they have discovered, they, whoever they are, uh, uh, it has been discovered an ossuary. Ossuaries were boxes that bones were put into by Jews during the first century up until about, uh, uh, I don't know, 90 or so A.D. Um, during the first century in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And you can dig up these ossuaries or these boxes, if you're so fortunate, and one has been unearthed that, that has come to light. And it's very interesting. This is a, a photograph of it, and you can't really make out the writing there, but um, this is, they would put the names of whoever's bones were in the box. And the name here is, when you're reading Hebrew, you read right to left. So it says Yaakov, which is James, or Jacob. Is, James is Greek. Jacob is his real Hebrew name. Yaakov, Rev, which is son of Yosef, which is Joseph. That's J-O-S, and that's the P-H sound or the F sound. Um, brother of Yeshua. Jesus. Now, which is Joshua in Hebrew. So Yeshua means Joshua. A, is it fake or is it real? Um, uh, the ossuary is real. The writing gives all appearances of being real. Uh, but uh, there is a group that challenges it. Uh, uh, and there is a substantial group that upholds it as being real. And it's interesting, the people that uphold it uh, are some of the leading Jewish archaeologists that are not Christians, Herschel Shanks in particular at the Biblical Archaeological Review site. Um, so there are questions whether or not the in inscription is authentic. If it is authentic, it tells us a couple of things. First of all, it tells us that there was a James who was the son of Joseph, which would be James the brother of Jesus, who was a brother of Jesus. And when they wrote in ossuaries, they would write the title. They would never put family members' names like brother of unless the brother was significant and famous at the time. And uh, uh, it's an interesting archaeological tidbit that we, we would be remiss if we did not mention it as we went through this class. Um, now, the letter James itself is written it's, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Twelve tribes. Who are the twelve tribes? They are Jews, right? So the scholars tend to think that this is a letter that was written to Jewish Christians by scattered among the nations. That's referring to a, a, a dispersal from Jerusalem. So these are the Jewish Christians that went out from Jerusalem. And James, the brother of Jesus, who became head of the, the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we know about that reading through Acts and reading through Paul's writings as well. Uh, uh, this is the James uh, that we believe and, and most scholars believe wrote the book. And so we have uh, him writing to Jews. Now it's an interesting book in the way it's written. Paul writes a lot of theology, right? 
There's not really any theology in this. Oh, you can read theology into it. But this doesn't really have a bunch of theology in it. This book is almost more like a collection of sayings, almost more like Proverbs or something like that. Um, um, and so what we're going to do is we're going straight now to points for home. Because really, <laughs> I told you I was going to let you out a little early. Um, really, this book is loaded with points for home. And what I've done is I've pulled out some of my favorite passages of Scripture out of the book of James. These are the ones that are, are more memorable. If we want to be biblically literate people, these are the passages in particular that we need to, to register in our brain and in our hearts is coming from the book of James. We'll look at them briefly. They're very self-explanatory. This is one of those books that's real easy to read and understand. The hard thing is applying it and doing it, you know? All right, so points for home. Here are our key passages. First, joy in the face of trials. Now, this is some of what was being touched on this morning by Charles Lowry in his sermon. There is a, a, a real biblical teaching that in the midst of all of the heavy weights that can crowd on our shoulders, we as Christians can find a place of joy, a place of... Uh, of uh, deep-seated uh, uh, um, happiness, resolve, acceptance. It's not always a bubbly yee-haw, zippity-doo-dah day, okay? As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry. And the Bible doesn't talk about having joy when it's a time to cry in the sense that you should go to someone at a funeral uh, who's just lost a loved one and say, hey, man, count it all joy. Let's put on a smiling face. That's cold-blooded. That's not what biblical joy is. Biblical joy is understanding that, that deep underneath the surface is this stream of life that feeds us and that we are in the Master's hands and so come whatever may, Come misery, come trials, come heartache, come pain, come challenge, come despair. Whatever comes our way, we can sit down and remember that there is a God who holds us in His hand, who has our life taken care of. And that's the source of, of what the Bible calls joy. It's the reason why, even though we're crying and weeping may last for a night, we know rejoicing can come the next morning. Okay? So, what James says in this regard is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, for us, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, why, James, should we consider it joy? When we face a trial, when we face... And trial by this is not uh, what Moriarty and I do for a living. That doesn't mean when you go to court. Just count it joy. Um, trial in this sense is uh, um, more just something coming at you that just tries you to the marrow of your bones. You've had the things that just come at you, and, and sometimes it's illness. Sometimes it's... it's uh, uh, economics, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's people. Whatever it may be, it just seems to just wipe you out. 
the way it comes at you. It's that type of a trying circumstance. And James says, the brother of Jesus tells us, consider it pure joy, count it all joy, because, and he tells us why, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, what's perseverance? Perseverance is kind of like the, the illustration Charles Lowry was using of the clown that would get knocked down and come right back up. Knocked down, come right back up. And that's what the testing of your faith produces. It produces perseverance. And that's important for us because perseverance, this ability to get back up when you've been knocked down by the strength of God, not by our strength, this ability to respond to those circumstances grows in us maturity. The Greek word for maturity is teleos. It, it means a, a perfection. It means a completion. It means a maturity. It means we're getting along the road where we need to be. Now, I was a college student. I was attending one of my favorite churches I've ever attended in Nashville, Tennessee. We were singing this song. Our song leader at the time was this fellow named Michael W. Smith. He was a newcomer to uh, uh, Christian music, hadn't put out an album yet, but he was a tremendous song leader. And he had this song about, Lord, test my faith. And he's singing it. And the preacher gets up and interrupts the middle of the song. Walks right up on stage, tells everybody, stop, stop, stop singing. Tells Michael W. Smith, who thought, I guess I just blew it. <laughs> you know, he says, stop, Michael, stop. I want everybody to quit. I want everybody to quit. He said, no, time out. You're singing to God, and you're asking God to test your faith. He said, there are a lot of you right now who aren't in a place to really ask that prayer. Because right now you just need some healing. You've had your faith tested enough lately. And you need to be praying for God to give you healing. He said, just be real careful because you sing this song. And if God's listening, which we have the promise he is, and if God answers this prayer, your faith's going to be tested. And that's really good because it will grow character and it will move you in perseverance but the way it happens can be very, very painful. And you might want to think twice before you sit out there and just sing this because Michael W. Smith's written this real catchy melody and it sounds real good. I remember that. It sticks out in my brain. I think it's one of the only two times in my life I've seen a preacher interrupt a song and say, time out. Do you know what you're doing? The other time, the same preacher. Um, uh, and that was a mighty fortress is our God. But, and that's another story for another class. But I will tell you this. It jolts you, and here I am at the age of 45, and I remember what happened 25 years ago because there's a lot of truth in it, and I've learned this in life. I'm sure I'll learn it more if God wills for me to live longer. But you be careful. When your faith is tested, the nice thing about it is, is you really do grow in the Lord. And I can, I got friends out here that I can point to who I'm sure could stand up here and give you testimony after testimony of how God worked through these horribly tough times in their lives to bring them where they are today in faith. Are there people out there who other than me can say that? I mean, I look back in my life and, and it's very, very true. So, whoa, we lost it. So, joy in the face of trials. Now, another passage. That's all. James is real disjointed. Okay? So we're just moving from one to the other. We're skipping like a rock on the lake. All right? Here's another one for you. 
Look at things from God's perspective. Seeing things from kind of a global view. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you could see things the way God sees them? If you could see people the way God sees people. If you could see the circumstances in your life the way God sees them. Wouldn't that be really cool? Okay, there's a biblical word for that. Anybody want to guess what it is? That, biblically speaking, is wisdom. Biblically speaking, wisdom is not just, oh, I'm really smart, I can do calculus. That's not wisdom, that's knowledge. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. Now, who would like that? I'd love that. Who would like your kids to have that? You all homeschooled your kids, didn't you? Wouldn't it be incredible if you could give that to your children, an ability to see things from God's perspective? I think it's an incredible idea. And the nice thing is, wisdom, we're told, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Pray for it. Put it on your list. Put it on your refrigerator. Pray for wisdom. If you're like me, you go to the refrigerator 10, 20 times an hour. <laughs> Bam! Lord, give me wisdom. And He will. That's the promise. He will. And you'll begin to notice that your mind starts seeing things differently. You start seeing people differently. You see relationships differently. You see life differently. So pray for it. Pray for wisdom. Okay, next point. Who likes presents? Three of us? Come on. Now this is, let's be honest. Who likes to get presents? Really good ones. All right. Have we got a passage for you? Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift is from God. You got something good in your life? Perry's 46 years old today. That's a blessing to get to turn 46. My mother turns 29 tomorrow <laughs> for like the 30th time in a row. No, <laughs> I guess more than that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> okay. Grandmother thought that was pretty funny. Mom, she didn't think that was that funny. Um, yeah, I just lost that present. Um, the, uh, uh, you know, just having a birthday. That's a wonderful blessing. It's a great gift. You've got a wonderful wife to share it with. And you're very fortunate. And that's from God, isn't it, Marcy? That's exactly right. You got kids. You got three kids. I don't know what your situation. Look at this family over there. These are my neighbors over there. Look at those wonderful children. What a blessing that God's given them. Right? Castell, you look at the blessings in your life. Any good gift you have. Some of you can say, uh, we got Barhorst over there. He's not only a phenomenal doctor, but he sings like I'd say like a bird, but it'd be a pretty deep-voiced bird. It'd be like a papa bird. You know? <laughs> okay. 
That's a gift from God. That's something that God gave you. Every good gift that you've got comes from God. And, wow, that was a gift. <laughs> now, if every good gift comes from God, I want you to pause for just a minute. This is class participation. I want you to think of something really good in your life. And then I want you under your breath, you don't have to say it out loud, but I just want you to pause for a minute, and I'll shut up for a minute because I want you to thank God for it. Okay? All right, next point. Everyone should be... You want to know what it is? Everyone. Who's, who's, who's someone? Okay, most of you. Everyone should be... Quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. I'm a lawyer. I talk for a living. But I want to tell you, the best trial lawyers that I've seen, Mike could bear me out on this, the best trial lawyers I've seen are trial lawyers who also know how to listen. Because sometimes the witnesses that I've got up there that I'm grilling say something. And I've seen lawyers do it. They're drilling that. And lawyers are so concerned about their next great question, they fail to notice the witness just gave a horrible answer that should be held accountable. Because lawyers oftentimes don't listen. doesn't matter what you are. doesn't matter what you do. Everyone should be quick to listen. And that's not all. Everyone should be slow to speak. I'm not, don't get mad at me if you don't like that. James said it. He's Jesus' half-brother. Same mom. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Finally, everyone should be slow to become angry. I want to thank the 11-year-old kid who drew a better picture of anger than I could find anywhere on the Internet. As angry. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I have um, 75 people who work in my law firm. I've had my law firm for 15 or 16 years. I have personally fired one person. Usually other people do the dirty work. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've had to let one person go. But there is another fellow that I threatened to fire because it came to my attention that 15 feet from the reception area where I had people waiting to see me, he stood in the hall and berated and yelled out of anger at his secretary. She'd messed up. And I pulled him aside and I said to him, this has just come to my attention. I want to tell you something. If you work here, we don't do that. Well, she messed up and it just made me so mad, I lost it. I said, that's fine. I'm just telling you, if she messes up, there are other ways to deal with it. We don't fly off the handle in anger here. And if you can't control your anger, I will fire you and you will find another place to work. You decide what's more important to you. 
controlling your anger or working here or working somewhere else, I guess. To his credit, that was five years ago. He still works for me. And, and you know, I, I, if you look at your life, I, everybody's got different sets of problems. I got more problems in sin and, and issues to deal with than any of y'all. I'm very fortunate. I grew up with just the most obnoxious little sister in the world. <laughs> and so I learned from an early age not to get angry because that's just Holly. Right? I mean, you grew up with Holly, you got to live. I, Kevin, my brother-in-law, he knows what I'm talking about. And <laughs> Holly taught me patience, and she taught me not to get it. No, I'm joking. She was a wonderful little sister. But, but you, you know, that's just not one of my issues. But it's not because it couldn't be. It's because I don't choose to let it. Okay. Some people have more difficulty controlling that than others. I mean, if, if, if left to myself, I, I'd be a bigger glutton than all of y'all put together. I could easily be too big to fit through the double-wide door back there if, if I just had my own way. Okay, that's where I struggle, one of my areas, one of the many. But wherever you are along the chain, it's worth the struggle. Don't be angry. Don't let your temper rule you. And if it's an issue and you can't find a way to beat it, go see Lewis. That's what he's there for among the many. And he'll give you techniques and tips. Ultimately, it's tap into God. But I'm telling you, I, I've, got, I've got another guy uh, that I know through work who believes he gets more done that way. He says anger is a tool that you can use to manipulate people. And he's right to some degree, but it's not a tool a Christian should use to manipulate people. Okay? Speak the truth in love. Be slow to anger. Next point. When you do speak, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. This guy's tongue left him, went to the telephone. Paul talks about speaking with words seasoned with grace. We need to be people who, who are different just by the way we speak. Our vocabulary needs to be different. It's bizarre. It's bizarre because people, they find out you teach Sunday school or they find out you're a committed Christian and a lot of people change the way they speak around you. And I tell these people, you speak however you want to speak in front of God. You know, it's not that I'm something that you should speak different around me. I speak the way I speak because of God. And that's just the way I want to be. And I want, I want to control my tongue. It's something that's not easy, but it's something we strive for. It's not something we do perfectly, but it's something we work on. And it should be no different for any of us. James is writing to a bunch of people scattered throughout the world, and if they already had that problem licked, he wouldn't have to spend all that time on it. So the problem of, of your tongue is not one that's new. It's one that's been around for a long time. 
but it's one that's serious to the Lord. The Lord's not just interested in huge issues like whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or what is our policy going to be on an international, intergalactic basis toward people of the planet Pluto. God's concern in God's religion and faith is concerned with how we talk. Pretty simple and pretty close to home. It's a whole lot easier to go march about some issue in Washington, D.C. than it is to say, I'm going to take a week this summer and really work on changing the way I talk. How is your religion? While we're on the subject of religion, anybody ever listen to R.E.M.? Any of you from the 80s listen to R.E.M.? You know the guys from, where, Georgia? Rock group? Nobody listens to R.E.M.? Oh, okay, well, that explains why they don't sell a lot of albums. Um, consider this the hint of the century. If I could borrow a line from them out of their song, Losing My Religion. The hint of the century is this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You want, you want pure and faultless religion? Find an orphan. Find a widow. Find someone in distress and help them. It's pretty simple. But boy, it brings a big smile to God because that's his concern. He's a father to the fatherless. So you're being his hands and his feet when you do it. James, the brother of Jesus, don't you figure he was at the Sermon on the Mount? He followed Jesus around a pretty good bit of the, the ministry. And you've got to figure that, that they talked about things before. It's interesting to read James and read the Sermon on the Mount at the same time. So we'll borrow Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. James says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to inherit the kingdom? That's his brother. He paid attention to what he said. Even if he didn't understand him to be the son of God, until after the resurrection. How about this one out of the Sermon on the Mount? Do not be judged or you will be judged. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Y'all know those passages? James, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that interesting? I'll give you one more. Do not swear at all. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. That's what Jesus said in Matthew, or what Matthew recorded Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount. James says it this way, do not swear. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. These are pretty good teachings. All right, more on the tongue. He doesn't want to leave it where we've left it. A horse, huge. How much does a horse weigh? More than me. How much does a horse weigh? 1,200 pounds, 1,500 pounds, a lot. And yet it's controlled by a little bitty bridle. Make it go left, make it go right, make it stop, make it back up if you're really good. Big old ships like they had in the day of James writing, controlled by a little rudder in the back. Makes it turn, makes it go across oceans. How about forest fires? Started with a spark. 
James says, in the light of those, the tongue is a small part of the body, but oh, it can wreak devastation. Is it Bob Dylan who said, I killed someone with my words today? Or no, it was Daniel Amos. I'm sure they've never been confused with Bob Dylan. Um, he, it's uh, on the horrendous disc album. He's got the line, he killed his wife with words. The tongue can do as much damage, more damage. And yet it's so small. James says, pay attention to that. Humility. See, I had to put that at the bottom of the screen. It just didn't seem right to write humility up at the top. <laughs> humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Dr. Bob and I are always teasing about the book we're going to write, Humility and How We Achieved It. Um, I will tell you this. I have a very dear friend who um, allowed me to go with him one week, uh, uh, though it turned out I was not supposed to be able to go. I didn't know this. But uh, uh, he wouldn't go one day unless I went with him to his AA meeting. And at the AA meeting, they say a prayer that I think is from St. Francis originally. I'm not sure who it's from. But it's the, it's the prayer of God grant me the serenity to accept the, th y'all know it, and the wisdom to know the difference, okay, or whatever. So we're walking out, and my friend says to me, and, and it was, there were three of us, me, my friend, and his sponsor, who's also a very dear friend of mine. And the three of us are walking out, and my friend, and this is like his second or third day to be there, okay, we're really working to try and get him plugged in. My friend says to me, he says, Mark, did you see that serenity prayer? Because it's like written on the walls and stuff. I said, yeah. I said, I, I'm fairly familiar with that. He says, well, it's, it's got issues. It's got a problem. And uh, I figured it out. And I need to find out how I go about getting changes made in that so everybody knows the, the new line. We've got to put a new line in there. I said, oh, that's wonderful. What's it going to be? doesn't have anything about humility in it. And I guess no one was smart enough to figure it out till I came along. I promise you he said it. And he was sober at the time. And I said, <laughs> I think, I said, uh, I said, I started laughing. I thought he was joking. He said, why are you laughing? I said, well, aren't you joking? He said, no, I'm not joking. He said, you'd think with all those people in there, one of them would be bright enough to figure out you've got to have a line on humility. But no, it's going to take me to show them. And I said, did you know that prayer's been around for like hundreds and hundreds of years and it's just like helped so many people in their life and that there's a certain irony that brings forth laughter from me at you saying, I know that humility's there and no one else does, so I'm going to fix this prayer that's helped people for hundreds of years? He didn't see it funny. Anyway. <laughs> Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Now, about later. Listen, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to do this and that. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will, bam, 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 bam. Even with our kids. Tomorrow, Saturday at our house is donut day. We go get donuts, me and the little kids. And the big girls sometimes when they're awake. Um, so, Daddy, is tomorrow donut day? Yes, it is. Are we going to go get donuts? Good Lord willing, we will. Never just say yes. Things can happen. 
if God wills. It's a small way to let kids know, let people know that there is a God beyond us. And while I make plans, God has veto right over anything I say. That's kind of misty. But give the sun a few hours and what will happen to it? It will burn off, right? Because what is your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, a word on prayer. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders to pray. The prayer of a righteous man is effective. Why a righteous man? Because God hears him more? No. Because he knows God's heart more. And he'll be praying right. You don't want to pray contrary to God. You don't want to pray contrary to his heart. You want to pray consistent with his heart. Because our prayer is that his will be done. And so we want in our prayer life to be announcing the will of God on things. And let his spirit and his call God into play in this world. That's our role. And then he does the work. So, but we want the prayers of a righteous person in the sense that we want people to pray right. Coming attractions. Um, next week, the next three weeks, uh, Becky and I will be gone. Um, Lewis preaches, teaches next Sunday. And then the following two Sundays, Edward Fudge is going to be here to start us on Hebrews. Now, Edward's written a multi-hundred page commentary on Hebrew that's out of print on Hebrews. But we're re Philip has, uh, uh, is reprinting it for us and binding copies. So you come for those weeks, those two weeks, and you'll get a copy of Edward's commentary. Heavens, have him autograph it if you want. He'd just be tickled pink. He could draw a little bow tie under it. Um, <laughs> But uh, you will be getting a commentary on the book of Hebrews if you come uh, um, either of those Sundays. Then I'll be back, uh, God willing, July the um, 10th, and uh, I'll finish Hebrews. And then we don't have a lot left, sports fans. Um, so that's what's coming attraction. Louis and Michelle, would you all come up here? Howard, where are you? Howard uh, has uh, something just to talk to you all about. And I will see you all uh, 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 at the house. You all come on. Well, we want to honor this great couple here this morning. Uh, we don't see Lewis a lot. He's in the background quite a bit. But one time you will see him is when he's in the water doing a baptism. And I love watching Lewis do baptisms because he has this huge smile on his face. And you can tell he just loves what he's doing. And we just wanted to say thank you as a class. We uh, have some cards here that we've signed and written little notes on. And we just wanted to uh, say thank you to all. So let's give them a hand. I, I just asked Howard, Howard if I could have the mic. I didn't know we were going to do this. I would just like to say that for 15 years, Michelle and I have believed and are convinced we're at the greatest church in the world. And the church is not buildings, and it's not land, and it's not programs. It's people. And you guys are the greatest, and we really love you all and appreciate you all. Thank you. you want me? Okay. Let's pray. God, thank you for all the ways that you bless our lives.
Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for this class. Thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just look to you to supply our needs. Lord, thank you that Michelle and I are so blessed that our cups are so full, they're overflowing because of the people in this room and the awesome people in this church. And Lord, I just pray a special blessing on everybody in this room today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.